0: Zane with Today we will be including an interview by Lovren with AP Art Students, a discussion with Miss Jury about Leeds Art Showcase, hosted by Josie. An interview about a Leeds student's love for piano and making music, hosted by Spencer. Next, a discussion with Miss Jackson on how she adapted her lessons during the time of COVID, hosted by Adrian. Next, a deep dive about a Leeds student's dream, here's at Leeds and what yours could mean too. First, we will interview some of the great APRs.
1: Today, I am joined by Wraith Reed from the APR class of Lead Innovation Studio, taught by Miss herself. How are you doing today, Wraith?
2: My day has been pretty all right.
1: Right. Good good okay. How would you describe your art style?
2: I would describe my art style by saying that I would like people to look at my portfolio and know that it's me. Most of my paintings consist of red or most of my paintings are on larger canvases so I like to feel I would like to think that that will be identifiable with the kind of art I do. My pen work is usually more consistent, and Mysterious said that. My pen work is something I should do more because it shows all the detail I can have. And I mean, yeah.
1: Okay. Okay, that's interesting. What would you say your inquiry is for the AP art class and how has it developed throughout your experience?
2: My inquiry is still developing, but at the moment it's two questions. The first question being, why does it seem like half the steps I take are my feet being pushed onward by dismal frustration? And my second question is, what differentiates oneself from being an independent, self-reliant person and someone who is independent because they are alone? And at first, I just wanted to display how I felt that dismal frustration and how I felt alone. and. How I was forced into feeling independent because I didn't have anyone but as I'm doing my pieces I'm slowly realizing that I'm more answering a question of how can I personally be someone who is more independent and self-reliant because I have myself and because I have other people the first painting I did was a self-portrait of me <laughs> in a dark room contemplating And my second one was a painting I did of my own hands, one reaching out to the other. And essentially what I was trying to say with that was at the end of your lifespan, the only person you'll truly have throughout the entire journey of your life is yourself. So you should save yourself out of your bad situations you're in instead of always relying on other people. And my third art piece is, I guess, a continuation of that idea of seeking help through other people and knowing that even if you will only ever have yourself truly that there will be people who are there for you and you should have trust with those people and put your trust and faith in other people instead of constantly overthinking or worrying that you'll be the only one you can trust and that you'll be alone and independent. And I guess I just want to develop that idea and show more trust and show less of a lonely, dismal independence and more of a self-reliant and seeking help through other people independence and answer that question throughout the rest of the semester.
1: Very cool, okay. So what brought you into art and painting? Any specific person or a story that you would like to share?
2: I mean, I guess I had an art class like anyone else in elementary school. What brought me into painting was, well, painting um, my class on this jury, Um, Before that painting class, I didn't paint at all. Not that I can remember. Definitely nothing as serious as I'm doing now. I mean, I wouldn't say I just liked painting, but it wasn't something I gravitated towards until I took that painting class. And as the semester went on, I found out more and more things I could develop and I used bigger and bigger canvases. I realized that my real passion was in painting and mixing and getting those fine details that you that are that differentiate themselves from just pen work or just pencil work because a majority of what i've done throughout my entire life is just pencil work and recently for the past couple of years pen work but i feel like this is what's resonating with me the most especially with bigger canvases so i can get the details I want, and it just looks better up on a wall.
1: What does your future in art look like, career-wise?
2: Well, I currently have an internship with the Global Orphan Project in Goex, where I do graphic design. Because on top of painting and pen work and pencil work, I also do graphic design, and they're a company that makes T-shirts and logos, and there's a lot of involvement in graphic design there. I have done designs for t-shirts. I've had t-shirts printed, which is something that I never thought I would do at this age, which is an opportunity I'm extremely grateful for. But I think I want to do probably a career in graphic design with that, at least for now, for the near future. But in the long term, I could really see myself making paintings that I'm really proud of or making commissions for paintings because normally i see a lot of commissions i'd like an absurd amount of commissions for graphic design but i don't really see anyone doing commissions for paintings like especially on a larger scale like i do so i think it'd be something unique i could offer to people
1: how would you say the ap art class is helping you
2: with that future well in terms of graphic design that's not involved but in terms of painting i feel like I would say that the AP art class is helping me more emotionally prepare for that future rather than preparing me in the sense that it's giving me more opportunities and more of a vision of that future. Because I've always wanted to do art ever since elementary school, I've never not wanted to have a career and a future in art, but I feel like doing this inquiry and realizing that I'm not as alone as I thought I was, is emotionally preparing me for that future of hopefully not being alone and being able to rely on other people, whether it be in a job or at my internship or just in life. So I think that the AP class has helped me a lot in that aspect and developing, I guess, a way to vent how I feel and see on the canvas and to have other people see on the canvas
1: Do you have any advice for artists now or future artists?
2: I would say that coming from someone who didn't paint, then took a painting class, then now only paints, essentially, I would say to experiment as much as you can, even with things you might not find yourself liking. And I guess the best piece of advice I could give off the top of my head would to be convey your emotions through your artwork, because I could recreate scenes from a movie or a comic or a manga or anything I wanted right? but I feel like the most unique and special kind of art is the kind of art that comes from one's own heart and soul. So I feel like if I were to see a canvas, I'd be a lot more intrigued and a lot more interested if it was something that was personal to something, someone rather than something that was recreated. and I'm hoping that I see a lot of artists doing that because that's what I find the most personal, I guess.
1: Okay, thank you for your time. Of course. What brought you into art and painting? Is there any specific person or like a story you would like to share? Well, my sister was like the
3: art kid when I was little, and she's 12 years older than me, so I got to watch her do all this, like, fun stuff with her art classes when she was in high school, and I always just really liked looking at her stuff, and then, so I just did it whenever I got
1: to high school. Okay. So, what does your future in art look like
3: career-wise? I'm not really sure yet. I'm kind of just enjoying what I'm doing right now. I'm not really putting too much thought into it. Yeah. But, hopefully... Something good will come out of it. Any ideas? Not really. I'm just kind of (laughs) vibing right now. Yeah. Would you sell anything? Um, I have previously, but just like on Depop. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. How many have you sold? I think like three or four things. Not a lot. Could you describe them? Well... Those, like, little wooden boxes at Michael's, I used to buy a lot of those, and I would, like, paint stuff from, like, movies on them and, like, Mod Podge pictures onto them, and those those were fun.
1: That's cool. Okay, so how would you say the AP art class is helping you in that way? Well, I like it a lot because there's, like, you can basically
3: do whatever you want, but with, like, certain expectations, so, it's a lot more freeing than a normal art class is. And you can just experiment with whatever.
1: Okay. Any advice for artists now or, like, future artists? Um,
3: take as many art classes as you can. They're all amazing, especially if you have Miss Jury. Um, yeah, take them at Lee. Don't take them at South because the ones <laughs> at South are interesting um <laughs>
4: yeah
1: okay thanks for your
4: time
1: Hello, leaders. today i am joined by tristan tiscarino from the ap art class of lead innovation studio taught by mystery herself how are you doing today
5: uh, i'm doing fine i mean okay. i'm wrong
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay that's good so how would you describe your art style
5: my art style, I kind of take in elements from uh, surrealism. I tend to incorporate elements of things that have happened in my own life and mm-hmm. things I tend to be feeling in the moment. And I kind of just put that down on paper, however that may be, in what form.
1: Okay, that's cool. Could you, like, give a description of one of your art pieces, like how it may look?
5: Whenever I make my figures, they tend to be a bit, like, bare. They, Whenever they, uh, they don't usually have like, clothing, and they're pretty, like, skinny and scrawny, mm-hmm. because I tend to have, you know, a lot of issues with my body like that, so I kind of just depict the own, like, body that I kind of have, mm-hmm. and along with that, I kind of use mostly monochromatic colors with it, okay. mostly tend to the time I use just, like, outlining and all that, and I use cross-hatching for most of the shading and stuff I do. I try to implement color a lot of the time, but I like it more, more often than not without color.
1: Okay. Okay, that's really cool. What would you say your inquiry is for the APR class and how has it developed throughout your experience?
5: My first inquiry when we started the, uh, the class was how I can uh, depict uh, personal struggles within my own family. Uh, that one didn't turn out all that great, so I decided to change it to uh, how I, can I make sort of like creatures, these people, into uh, just, uh, reflecting things I've happened within my own life and the things that kind of you know, linger in the back of my head. And yeah, that's just where it is right now, though.
1: <laughs> okay, very cool. So what, would you, what brought you into art and painting? A specific person or a specific story you would like to share?
5: I do have a pretty funny story. Uh, okay. uh, back in middle school, I had this friend who also drew. And I, I kind of looked up to him for a bit because, you know, he was pretty good at drawing and I liked drawing. And but I wasn't into drawing yet. I wasn't like really going into it full time. And uh, I remember one time uh, I showed that friend a piece of artwork I made, and he probably wasn't really the kindest about it. <laughs> and he kept like mocking about it, this and that. And that kind of got me to like, you know what? I'm pissed off. So I'm just gonna keep making this just to prove my point that I'm better than you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's kind of like spite that kind of got me off the rails at first.
1: Okay. What does your future in art look like career-wise?
5: Uh, right now, uh, I'm attempting to get into the Kansas City Art Institute and I'm hoping at some point I can possibly get into uh, album design or just conceptual art. Mm-hmm. And maybe even getting into some kind of field where I can make stuff for like games and whatnot. But uh, that's about the only thing I got in mind right now. I haven't thought about it too hard.
1: That's cool though. So how would you say the AP art class is helping you with that future?
5: I think it's actually doing me wonders right now because it's kind of gotten me to that point of trying to get this kind of image down in my head while also kind of putting it to a point where it's not too direct with what I'm trying to get across, which is like the whole thing with surrealism and stuff. <laughs> like, You're trying to make, send a message without saying the message. Mm-hmm. And uh, with APR, I've had a lot of help and guidance to help try to get that down more uh, solidly. And aside from that, uh, it's just fun. I mean, everybody there supports each other. We can talk about topics that may be uncomfortable for each other and still be able to have that security within the class, not having to worry about if that thing is gonna go out and someone else is gonna hear it. Because honestly, Jury's the type of teacher, you can tell her what's going on, and you can trust her with what she says about it
1: that's great okay so any advice for artists now or future artists
5: a piece of advice i do have is a pretty you know obvious one uh if you want to get better you want to do whatever you want just make something it doesn't matter what it is it can be small it can be like a five minute sketch it can be literally like anything as long as you just get that daily practicing you'll just start getting better and better by the day
1: Thank you so
0: much for
4: mm-hmm. your
5: time. No problem.
0: And speaking of Leeds' talented artist, here is Miss Jury on Leeds' showcase. Our park hill
4: at... It's actually our park hill art Fest, which is basically... It's very similar. At Lead, we have like our big Lead showcase that features things from everyone um, and every kind of content. But the Art Fest, or sometimes it's called the Art Fair, is the big Park Hill district wide art show where it features elementary students, middle school students, and high school students all the way up until AP Portfolios is a big component of that. And it's at the end of April this year. usually the first weekend in may but we had to move it up so we did not have in-person art fest the last two years because of covid instead as art teachers throughout the district we met multiple times to try and figure out what we could do And we pretty much decided that each school would handle their own art show showcase. So it was handled a little differently at each school, but the majority of us just had some kind of online version. That's actually how the lead showcase started, was um, two years ago when we were originally shut down, I was really sad because I wanted to be able to show all of the incredible artwork that had been created that year and I knew that the art fair would be not an option and so i asked permission to create a website to have like an lead art showcase and then that just kind of trickled into adding a few more things which then ended up being an entire lead showcase that's how we've kind of gotten around it the last two years last year we weren't allowed to do an entire art fest for the entire district But because it was a smaller group, we did get permission to have uh, like just the AP portfolios here at LEED. And so that was in-person with masks, social distancing, but that's kind of the big thing that our seniors or AP students look forward to. And so it was really hard the year before when they didn't get to have that. And so we were happy to be able to at least have that and then online for everything else this year. We'll still probably have masks on and social distancing, but otherwise um, the show will go on. And so we still plan on having our actual larger art fest. Do you think there have
1: been some benefits of having it online?
4: Absolutely. If you look at the data based on our website, you can see that we've reached people much farther than Missouri. So I imagine there are a lot of people who are able to send the art link to their family members, um, potentially across the US or even across the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been really wonderful. Um, You're able to send a link directly to wherever your project is, which sometimes is a little bit tricky when you're in person because you have Mm -hmm. to walk around to try and find those things. Um, And you're able to explore as much as you want. And so you can sit there and you can sit on it and look at the website for I mean, there's probably enough content to look at it for hours, Um, or you can just kind of look around at the main things that you want to see. And so I think there's a lot of benefit to it. We're also able to feature a lot more because there's no cost involved in adding more, whereas in person, logistically, we have to keep that down to a certain number.
1: How do you go about choosing artwork to showcase?
4: That's tricky. For AP, they decide what they're going to display. I don't censor anything when they're creating art, but um, if it's going to be on display where family members in the community is gonna walk by, then we do a little bit of censorship um, for certain things, but otherwise they choose completely. As for the other art classes, um, typically we're just grabbing a handful of projects from each project. So from each different thing so that we're looking for a variety of projects um, showing a variety of different skills and really being able to not just showcase lots of different students, but also to be able to showcase all of the different projects that are featured in the different classes, because I think a lot of students will go there, whether middle, elementary students or even high school students, will go and be able to look at the different classes and be able to kind of get an idea if they wanna take those courses or not.
1: Yeah. Are you able to choose like more artwork to display like here at Lee than the actual fair?
4: I do have some limitations here because I don't have like a bulletin board where I can just put up all different sizes or whatever, but we've, we've worked really hard to get frames and um, sometimes I'll put like an easel up to be able to display a nice variety here. Mm -hmm. And I can change that out as much as I want. Um, I can feature a lot more than just that weekend art fair.
1: Was there a difference between choosing for the middle school
6: and choosing for high school?
4: Yes, I mean, I think we are looking for the same kind of thing. We're looking for a variety of pieces and we're trying to feature a variety of different artists just like at the top of each project. Um, however, middle school, you're more limited in space. So for example, when I taught middle school, um, in any given year, I would see over 300 students throughout the course of the year. Um, and I would teach like two different classes, like I would teach seventh and eighth grade or now it's sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And so there's not as much variety as far as like the projects are, because in high school, we have a wide variety of classes and we have um, different grade levels as well. But there are way more students Mm -hmm. in each of those. And so um, I think that just changes what you see when you walk through there. I think high school is nice because you get a little more of the students voice um by then hopefully they've started to get like those techniques and skills down and so then they really get to develop as artists and that's something that i work really hard to do at Lead is to be able to help get your voice across um not just like developing those techniques and things
1: what makes you the most excited about the art
4: fair oh my gosh i love seeing everybody's work i love the fact that We're the only district I know that brings K through 12 together. And I think that's really impactful. Honestly, it's one of the reasons why I came to teach at Park Hill. I grew up in the North Kansas City School District um, and we didn't have anything like this. It's a great district, but like, I remember when I was growing up, I used to come to the Park Hill Art Fest which is kind of interesting because I didn't necessarily have that many connections to Park Hill yet. And then as an art teacher, when I found out that there was an opening here, um, I felt like I had to apply because I wanted to be a part of that. And so I'm just excited. I love my daughter's in kindergarten this year. She has one project in there already. So it's gonna be a really big year for her because she's grown up going there and watching mommy put all these things up. I love how nice it'll be for our students to be able to display everything um and then i work really closely with our ap students so that's always like a really big deal so so many things
1: what do you hope for like the future
4: of the art fair i would like to continue having it and i do believe we plan on continuing having it um just avoiding pandemics what's already happening is our lead section is growing dramatically especially since we didn't have an in-person Art fest the last two years, and so we've only had it like one year in person, and it was considerably smaller. Mm-hmm. That year, all I taught was design and draw. So I had like a full course load, and it was only me, of design and draw. And now, you know, skip two years, and we're coming up on the fourth year, and we are going to be a prominent feature in the AP world. Um, We have almost as many as Park Hill has, which is really incredible. We're a lot smaller school. Um, We have like every single class that's going to be on display as well. And so it's going to be a huge jump for us. We have a pretty large section in um, where it's going to be featured in the big gym where there's Park Hill South on one side, Park Hill on the other, and then they're giving us a pretty good space in the middle that's all lead. So I'm excited for that to continue to expand. Mm -hmm. Um, I love working with the other high school teachers as well to be able to kind of make that happen, and they've been really awesome at like helping us grow as a department. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I just think we'll get bigger. We'll need an arena soon, maybe, I don't know. We are definitely making A big statement in the art world in Park Hill, like LEAD is really saying something.
7: Do you think that will make more students want to
6: come to LEAD?
4: I think so. I think, well, and it's one of those things, like Dr. Stanley says, like you don't have a bad option. Well, same thing if you're interested in art classes. Mm -hmm. I love and I have learned so much from the art teachers at both Park Hill and Park Hill South and we work together really well and so there's not a bad way to go but we are establishing ourselves and we do things a little bit different which if that's what you're interested in this is a really great place to be and so I do think a lot of the work will speak for itself. And a lot of people will hear about our department and hopefully it'll be something that will make them interested as well. Only other thing is we'll also feature a lot of this on the online. So if you miss it, then you'll still be able to go and see everything.
8: I'm your host, Kyla, for this segment of Fitting In, and I'm also here with Jersey. I moved here from seventh, in seventh grade from Oric. I had a lot of pressure from the town. The small town of 800 had you living up to your parents' reputation. wasn't easy for me, with my mom being a medal winner for everything. Basketball, track and field, weight, swim, and was even on the football team. Then my dad brought the football team to state two years in a row. When I first moved to Kansas City i started going to lakeview i felt relieved because i could finally make my own reputation walking into the school that was only three grades but just as big as my old school who was k through 12 was intimidating at first i felt like i didn't belong everyone had brand new white shoes on all the girls had their hair and makeup done i had my hair straight from brushing it out my ripped jeans from work and my old cowboy boots that i literally just stomped off 10 minutes ago from walking in school throughout the day i got made fun of a little because i came from a ran down farm town as the weeks went on people started to open up and realize who i really was past everything that you could physically see there's many people in the school that has similar stories and today we're going to talk to one of the newer teachers who also has newer students in her classroom and we're going to see how she puts up with those kids and how she makes sure that they feel like they belong here at lead
9: <laughs> i'm Miss berright And it's spelled M-I-S-T-Y-B-U-R-R-I-G-H-T. And I teach design and draw, intermediate drawing, graphic design, and emerging leaders.
8: How do you introduce yourself to new students in your class?
9: Hi, I'm Mrs. Burright. Glad to have you.
1: Do you think you make students comfortable in your classroom?
9: I hope so. I try to use a little humor.
1: How
8: did you feel when you first walked into your first class here with all
9: your kids? I'm going to say I felt there's there is a different culture from the class from the school I was at before. I was at a, first I was at a middle school. And so there's a different level of maturity. Then, uh, like, everybody was, like, really respectful and kind. And I felt like, wow, this is, like, I'm in a great class. I hope this lasts all day, all year. Um, What made
1: you want to start teaching?
9: Um, I think I just liked to help people before I was a teacher I worked for the Girl Scouts and um so I feel like I was always kind of a teacher even though I didn't have a teacher as my uh title I was but I was still teaching things and so yeah
8: how do you feel your kids feel having a mom who is a teacher
9: I feel like they enjoy it because we have the same schedule. But because I drag them around to all, like, teacher meetings and they, like, had to sit at the back of the room or something, and then um, they would... They were kind of sick of it. <laughs> and they'd be like, where well, you have a meeting again? And then they would say... Uh, and now, like, I think it would be cool for them to be a teacher they'd be good teachers but they don't want to be teachers so I don't know if I did something I don't know (laughs) I don't know if I did something wrong but
1: um what feelings do you get when you hear that you're going to have a new student
9: um just to well when I was in elementary school I had to change schools a lot and I remember that feeling of like anxiety being in a new space and a new place and, like, are these kids going to like me? And so I try to remember that when a new person comes so that they feel comfortable.
8: What do you do necessarily, like... If a student is struggling and it's their first day and they're, like, struggling with classes and stuff, what are you going to do to, like, help them?
9: If they're struggling with their classes, um, well... The only way I know how is to make a plan, look at it, and you can only, you're only one person, you can only do one thing at a time and you just list them as a priority. And then that way, if you take off little chunks, like if you have five things to do, instead of your head spinning, thinking I have all these things to do, then you can be like, okay, next block, I'm doing this. Tonight, I'm gonna do this. And that way you can kind of check things off your list and not feel overwhelmed by feeling you have to do everything at once.
6: How has it been adjusting to Leeds teaching?
9: I would say the biggest difference for me, and I feel like I'm a little bit lucky because I taught art before and we did kind of the same kinds of things. We had like checkpoints, small exercises. We didn't call them checkpoints, but small exercises that led to a big project. So I feel like in that way, it's the same, but I graded differently. So I gave little grades to every one of those little things, whether, and I think the other thing is, is that I assigned those checkpoints to everyone, whether they really needed to do them or not previously before I came to lead. So like for an example, like a value chart, probably a lot of kids have done a value chart before. Maybe you don't need to do a value chart. I like the, the idea that you know, you've already mastered a value chart. Why would I need to do one every year for the rest of my life? You know, as every time I'm in an art class, that kids have that choice. But then there's some kids that might need to practice a value chart. So then mm-hmm. the checkpoint's there, or whatever the checkpoint. That was. Your... I like it because it's flexible for students, where they can prioritize what they need to work on. I know. Even in this environment, every teacher still has their own teaching style and stuff, but I feel like for the most part, it's kind of like they can choose and that self-directed part. And that, like for example, at my previous school, if a student was a really great, let's say they were like perfect mathematician, they were super great at their work, but something happened where they didn't turn their work in and the teacher gave them a zero, then I always felt like in the past that was more of a behavior, like when somebody doesn't turn their work in, that's a that doesn't really tell say what a student knows. So a student could know how to do things, and not turn in their work, but the other the other side of it is is like the teacher doesn't know what they know unless they turn their work in. But um, I don't know. I just feel like maybe maybe I'm going on and on. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about in that part. You can cut that part out.
1: What was...
8: Do you have like, a time where you felt embarrassed coming here to a new school? Like,
9: No, I don't think I was embarrassed. I feel like... Um, at my... In my previous experiences at different schools, there were... Uh, I've been to lots of different schools over the years. This is my 21st year of teaching. So um, at each school, there's like teachers that are leaders, let's say. They're the, the teachers that are on all the committees and they do a lot of stuff and all that. The smart teachers. And so what's cool about LEAD is I feel like everybody at LEAD is that type of teacher. They're like, they were a superstar at their previous school. And they came here and... So now, like, we're all together. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's even true, but it, that's what—that's the feeling I get.
10: Today, we are joined by the one and only Charlie. Uh, how are you today, Charlie? I'm doing pretty good. So, you create music, is that correct? Yes, I do create music. Mm. How do you make music? What is your process? Well, normally I just sit down on the piano and start playing random things. I don't really think that much into it. First, I play some songs I already know. And then, if I mess up and it sounds cool, I try making that a song. So, like, warm up first? Yeah, and I remember it because I don't know how to do sheet music that well. So how do you make up the names? I normally ask someone else to name it for me because I'm not really good at naming things unless I have an idea of, like, the lyrics. I mean, I don't really name the songs myself. How long does it take for you to usually make a song? Normally, it, it depends on how much motivation I have, but normally on average it takes about like one week or maybe like one and a half weeks or something like that. What's your favorite song that you've made? The latest one I've made. What are some of your favorite songs that you haven't made? Like the ones... That I listen to? That you listen to, yes. Okay, my favorite all-time number one song that I like is My Melancholy Blues by Queen. Mm -hmm. It's a really good song, I like it. What is your favorite genre of music? I don't really have a favorite genre of music. I normally, like, if the music sounds good, then it's good, and I listen to it. Mm. Uh, Who is your favorite band-slash-artist, and why is it Queen? (laughs) Well, it's Queen because, well... It's really the only band I listen to. I mean, I listen to others, but not as much as Queen. Uh, so if like, there were uh, other bands, like Led Zeppelin and other of those bands, <laughs> you would listen to them if you liked some of their songs? Yeah, I would definitely do that. Like, I listen to, besides Queen, I listen to some Billy Joel and Rick Astley. What instruments can you play? Uh, I can play the piano really well. I'm... I'm Slightly below average for sight reading for sheet music and other instrument I can play is um, trumpet and uh, very little of guitar. I've heard you play some of the guitar before. It's you're pretty good at it. Um, I think I only know like five notes. I know. Uh, how good are you at playing the piano? What are some techniques you use? I don't really use any techniques. All I do is just sit up tall, relax my shoulders, and curl my fingers like you're supposed to. Are you a good singer? I wouldn't say I'm the best, but I'm probably definitely about average. Are you planning on taking any lessons, like vocal lessons? I mean, I am in choir right now, at the moment, but um, I might also do some vocal lessons if I can find the time. Do you think choir is helping your singing skills? Yes, I think it is, because before I was in choir, I didn't sound as good as I do now, because I'm a psychopath and listen to my own voice in recording. I know that you are you tend to like music from the 70s through 90s. Why do you tend to dislike modern music? Because mainly they don't actually use instruments like piano bass and um, guitar or drums. They normally use a synthesizers Mm-hmm. Which is like synthesizers, yeah, they do sound good, but too much of them is not that good for of a song. Yeah, modern music is more digital. Yeah. You like genuine traditional music? Yeah. I also absolutely hate autotune. It's like cheating. Autotune is cheating. Yes. Thank you very much for coming to my interview. You're welcome. I am glad to participate in this TED Talk.
11: I am Adrian, and today we're gonna talk about one of the most current events going on, a battle we've all been fighting for two years, COVID. Today we're gonna hear from the teacher's perspective on this infectious matter. So uh, we are here with Ms. Jackson, one of our personal finance teachers in the building, and uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. Uh, So how has COVID affected your teaching?
12: Well, I think for me personally, it's made me think about what I do and how I do it more intently instead of just kind of going with the flow or thinking that I want to do maybe a group activity in class of some kind, but I have to think through the process of how people are working together, how close they are, um, if masks are involved. Um, there's been some activities I've had to cut because of food. And so just different things, I think, as far as activities, but also aware of like the spacing of people and trying to make sure that everyone feels comfortable.
11: So has COVID made you think? differently about teaching like your view on it
12: yes and no yes and the fact that it's been really really difficult we've been hit with a lot of challenges and a lot of things that kind of are on top of our regular duties like for instance last year when we were on hybrid even though students were on hybrid we were not and so making sure that we not only had a plan for students in the building but also students at home so it was almost kind of double the work and Most people don't see it that way, but Wednesdays, you know, trying to plan meetings and and have those be engaging and kind of do what we do, but do it in a way that is almost double the planning and, and double the preparation. So that was really difficult. I still love teaching because of the connection to students. That I don't think that has changed for any educator, but I think some of the COVID aspects of teaching has really drawn a light on some areas that we need to improve, but also some areas is that we need more support in as educators, but also as students.
11: Right, right. So when quarantine lockdown thing was first announced, like,
12: mm-hmm.
11: what were your thoughts, your thoughts like of teaching ever come to your mind? Like how it would be effective?
12: I mean, teaching, yes, but I had been an online teacher for years, so that platform I was comfortable with. I more went to how are my students doing, not only, like, in school but mentally because it was a huge, like, it kind of felt like the world put on the brakes, like, all of a sudden, and that was new for all of us. So it was kind of finding not only for my own personal health, like, mental health, what worked for me, but also, like, thinking through how my students are being impacted, how they're feeling and how they're doing mentally overall. And then also, on top of that, being a mentor. So, being available for 12 individuals at the time, you know, to have those discussions and to be there kind of as a support person. So, it definitely was something that I don't think any of us saw coming. I know right before that, you know we all left for spring break thinking we'll see you in a week and <laughs> never came back that year so yeah. it was a big change and i think you know at the time we had to shift because we had to um but it was it was just scary it was kind of a scary we didn't know what was coming next
11: yeah an interesting time <laughs> so, at least yeah so i think that so did you ever like think that we would still be doing this two years later
12: to be honest with you no I hoped not. I think we're kind of what I like to call the new normal. I think we're kind of getting there and hopefully we'll find a time where people are comfortable and we kind of get back to the 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 run-of-the-mill things. I think we're starting to see that here. Even though the only thing that's changed is the mask mandate, I think that we're starting to feel a little bit more at ease with some things as far as you know COVID numbers and, and people. There's still that sickness there and we always want to make sure that the first and foremost priority is people are safe because teaching and and learning can come second, but if you don't feel safe, you're not going to learn and teaching is a waste of time, you know? So when we talk about, you know, COVID and, and kind of having that in your, and it's always now in the back of my mind, it's just another thing I think about when I sit down to plan a class or to think about how we talk about something or in my instance, I teach business classes, so it's dramatically affect the area of business so keeping current with that
11: yeah 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 that makes sense so 3 years ago how do you think it, your whole teaching compares to like now
12: well i mean some of the things i still do the same but i will say making sure that you know everyone feels comfortable in my class we present a lot we always have, especially in my business classes. And presenting with mask on was another barrier that we kind of had to overcome. And everyone was in that boat, so it made sense. Now kind of giving the students the choice of whether they wear a mask, not wear a mask, where they sit, you know, who they work with, like that's all um, very much an individual choice. Three years ago, I don't think I would have thought twice about putting people together or when they go to present something, having a barrier like on your face that would just never have crossed my mind. I've had students in the past who have had to wear masks because of different illnesses. I've had students who are fighting cancer who chose to wear a mask because of the germ, you know, germs and and whatnot, and we're going through chemo at the time, so that wasn't abnormal. But I think. It's made me, from three years ago to now, made me think about not only, like, why am I doing something in class, but how am I going to do something in class? Like, it's made me focus on that a little bit more.
11: Yeah. So, is there anything else that we left out you'd like to go back to and talk about more? Or?
12: No, I, I just think that we're in such a divisive time, and COVID's one of those divisive, like, topics. My um, hope is that at some point in the future, we can all come together and... Um, You know, it it sucks, but, you know, we're not fighting each other. We're actually fighting this virus. You know, we're fighting it. Um, So my hope is that at some point it gets to be a point where, like, we survived this, we went through this together, we came out of it, and we can kind of move on, like I said, to our new normal, whatever that looks like. I think as students and teachers we've had to be really adaptable um, and we're kind of used to that at LEAD. but not every building was like that and so there's been a lot of challenges and a, a lot um, kind of thrown at you that you have to react to right away both on the student and the teacher side um, and I think sometimes I, I think we just need to learn patience with each other you know patience and understanding will, will get you a long ways. Yes.
11: I agree.
6: I'm Ruth, I'm on this podcast to talk about my dreams.
7: Alright, well welcome to the podcast, this is the lead podcast. My name is Autumn, I'm on the podcast for the first time as well. I'm glad you're here, because this should be pretty interesting. I chose the topic of dreams, and now let's get started off. Do you normally have like nightmares, or the like, casual dreams?
9: I'm, I
6: used to have nightmares sometimes, but most of the time I just have like normal, just normal dreams.
7: They're not like weird or funky. Oh
6: no, they're weird. I just... Yeah. Like everyone's dreams are weird, but sometimes they're vivid, sometimes I can't remember any of them, and yeah.
7: Yeah, uh, dreams come out to be that way sometimes. There's like research on that. So, talking about your nightmares, like what was the worst nightmare that you've ever had? Like, did you wake up in a cold sweat? Were you crying? Like, what was happening?
0: Um,
6: from what I can remember, the worst nightmare that I probably ever had was when, like, this, I don't know if it was a zombie or a monster, I don't really know what it was, was, like, just chasing me down the street.
7: Is, like, do you remember, like, how old you were when this was happening? I was a lot younger.
6: It's, like, several years ago. I just don't remember what exact age I was. So
7: people also have, like, allegations that, like, dreams mean something. What do you think, like, that meant?
6: And probably that I was anxious about something. Yeah. Or some, some, like, important date was approaching that I was nervous about kind of like how the monster is like kind of running towards me and I mm-hmm. couldn't get away right type of thing
7: okay yeah, normally people think like dreams mean like from some sort of problem or that you were anxious that's a good way to interpret that so like waking up in like cold sweats or anything do you like have has that happened to you or
6: not really I don't really wake up in a cold sweat I just wake up and my heart is pounding really fast and so oh. that's pretty much it that's interesting. I've had dreams where, I, like, I've woken up laughing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
7: <laughs> so. Yeah, I, not me. No? So, so your dreams are a bit more weird and kind of seems, like, scary, I would assume?
6: Yeah.
7: Yeah? <laughs> okay. So do your dreams ever, like, happen again?
6: I don't know. You see, I think some dreams, like, occur in the same place. Okay. Um, But I don't know if it's actually the same place or if I'm remembering that place in my memories within the dream. Oh, okay. But I'm pretty sure some of my dreams have taken place in the same spot.
7: Oh, okay. So, like... That makes- that's interesting. I haven't heard of that before. seen ones where it's happening in the same place, but I've never seen it where it's like- it's been memories. It's normally like just a figment of the imagination, so... Okay. <laughs> okay, so talking about like, the very- one of the more common dreams is like being chased by something. Have you ever had a dream where you're like falling? Yeah, a couple. A couple of them? Do you hmm. like- Do you wake up, like, in a shock or whatever, or is it...
6: Yeah, like, one time I had a dream, me and my mom and my sister, I think, were, like, on those, like, water slides where you get in that, like, big raft, like, circular raft Mm -hmm. thing, and then, like, and then, but except instead of, like, being a water slide, we're, like, in this cavern thing going down, like, river thing within the cavern, except there's, like, a waterfall in the cavern, and we just fell straight down, and before I hit the bottom, I woke up
7: a dream kind of like that the other is that one of like your nightmares it's like just
6: it, it was yeah it was like several years ago but oh
7: okay it's interesting how you can like you can only remember like certain dreams for like 10 minutes after you wake up but then you could also remember dreams from years ago yeah that's that's like interesting takeaway so like what do you think about dreams like the idea behind it or like how it works in the brain
6: Oh, I've heard that dream, whenever you dream, your brain is just sorting out memories that you need or don't need, and so they all kind of get jumbled up together in your subconscious. So, but I do think that they could possibly mean something, um, relating to those memories or feelings that you might have. Oh, okay. I've
7: heard of that. My own brother was saying, like, it's, like, 25,000 nerves are in your brain just connecting to your retinas and producing images just based off of what they've seen through the days Mm -hmm. that's i've not heard of that side before that's pretty interesting um have you ever experienced like sleep talking or walking
6: i have sleepwalk sleepwalked once um but i think it's the only time that it's really happened i um one time i walked all the way upstairs like it was, was like dreaming when i was sleepwalking right so I in the dream I felt the need to like walk upstairs and like where my mom's bedroom was and like like kind of call out for her like hey mom hey mom I don't remember why mm-hmm. but then she didn't answer of course because she was probably asleep and so I just walked back downstairs and just went back to bed and oh
7: my I, I feel like it'd be scary because there are like stories of people like falling downstairs and stuff like the you manage to go up and down a flight of stairs without falling that's
6: yeah that's amazing it was mostly like super hazy and like super dark like what i was seeing wasn't anything like it was in real life there was like gaping like black holes everywhere and like it was just you know kind of blurry too oh
7: that's it's a twist i never like thought that like maybe when you're sleepwalking you're like slightly su- uh, conscious of where you're going but
6: mm-hmm.
7: i didn't think about that so um do you like whenever you're inside of a dream, right? Mm-hmm. How do you like? Do you feel anything like physical? Like, let's say it's like raining outside. Can you feel like the water hitting
6: you? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it feels real.
7: I've had I've had a dream recently where like it was so cold outside, I could feel like it the wind hitting myself, and it was like I wanted to get into a coat. It was that cold. Mm-hmm. So okay, it's it's interesting how like in dreams you can physically feel things that you're not supposed to because you're you're really just in bed laying down and sleeping but you can actually feel anything mm-hmm. so lucid dreaming you know what that is yeah okay so have you like ever experienced or anything like lucid dreaming i don't think so would you want to though yes like know that okay because there are ways to get it. i think there's ways or simple things you can do to go into lucid dreaming
6: mm-hmm.
7: now another idea is sleep paralysis Oh yeah. Or sleep paralysis demons. Have you ever like have you ever had sleep paralysis or demons? Um
6: I don't really get it anymore, but um one time I think I was in a hotel room on vacation and I got sleep paralysis. (laughs) This is the funny thing. Um my sleep paralysis like demons weren't like actual like scary demons. They were like cartoon characters kinda like floating around above my eyes. But for some reason I was just paralyzed. Unable to move. move. And for some reason, it was so scary. Like, these characters kind of looked like, um, the Powerpuff Girls, you know? Okay. I don't know why. It's not really scary. It's just caused me to be paralyzed for whatever reason. But there was another time where I got sleep paralysis, and it was, like, an actual, like, sleep paralysis demon, like, the common okay. demon.
7: I, I've never experienced sleep paralysis, and everyone tells me it's, like, extremely scary because they can't even, like scream or close their eyes it's that yeah. bad like and like think you were thinking in that moment like am i going to die or something like what'd you think
6: i, c- I couldn't really think anything like oh. i was just kind of sitting there just watching all these things like float around my mind more curious than anything it sounds like, like it's like i couldn't think like yeah
7: oh okay i didn't interpret it that way i was People would always say like, it's extremely scary or it's like out of their mind. Like they couldn't even like, they wanted to scream out for help or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I've never saw it that way, just so, okay, the other day. So what would it like, what would you think if you couldn't dream at all? Like if you never had dreams or you would like, not even like that, you knew you would have dreams and you would forget it. Like you literally just didn't have dreams. How would you feel?
6: I feel like life would be a lot less interesting because I feel like with dreams you have an easier understanding of how you're feeling with like certain situations and like I feel like dreams can like sometimes tell you how you feel Mm -hmm. and it just makes you more aware of like what's going on in your life yeah at least for me
7: the, there's a lot of things like dreams like sometimes they tell you something well they don't tell you they show you what's about to happen
1: mm-hmm.
7: in a form or whatever and um, I, I like to say like reading th- between the lines like you have to see the thought behind it and sometimes you have to go into research of like what is a certain aspect of a dream mean whenever you like physically like if you were to tell someone's like oh yeah I had a dream like whenever you think of the war dream do you think of like pink fluffy clouds and everything like that or do you not or do you think about like the ominous weird side of
6: it I mostly just think about the weird side okay I know in like song, particularly talk about dreaming a lot but they don't necessarily they kind of romanticize it almost yeah but it's not what dreaming is dreaming is not always happy dreaming is always not like romantic it's mostly just weird weird like people like just not people but your head like combining different scenarios and people together into like one like mashup almost. Yeah, uh,
7: I see like a lot of people, like you said, like romanticizing dreams, like that they're like, oh, I kissed my crush my dream, mm-hmm. or I just want a million dollars or something. Dreams are like, like you said, they're extremely weird and out of placement. And I don't get mm-hmm. why that's not shown a bit more around in like society. And like, even for kids, whenever they say it's like, oh, I had a nightmare, and the mom and dad are like, oh no, you're fine. I don't mm-hmm. think that should be right, and I think it should be like, take care of them. Cause like, dreams can seriously show some like, signs later on in your future, if you really think about
3: it, like,
6: whoa. That is kind of interesting, cause one time a song was playing in my dream once, and then when I woke up and put my music on shuffle, that was the song that started playing. And so, which was really odd. So whenever you
7: enter REM sleep, right, Mm -hmm. which is like after like an hour and 30 minutes of you sleeping, your brain starts to develop those images. And like I said, it's like coming from bits and pieces of memories. But like, what about those people that you don't know that
6: are in your dreams? Like, where do they come from? I've heard that all those people in your dreams, you've seen their face before because your mind can't create new faces. So... Whether it be, like, just someone that you passed in the hallway or passed on the street. It's someone real in your dream.
7: Dreams are so weird.
6: (laughs) They are. (laughs) I
7: don't get it. (laughs) They're so, like, you want to, they're so out of touch is the Mm -hmm. way to put it. So is there, like, is there anything else you would like me to know about dreams or even just yourself?
6: I did write down one of my dreams once. Oh, It was a very long dream. But I was able to get it all down. I just woke up first thing in the morning, just got my phone and started typing away. That's what I did. And sometimes I'd come back to it and just look at it. Cause it was several years ago. It was like Valentine's day of like 2018. Like I don't
7: know it was
6: a long time ago. Yeah.
7: I, I normally, I can remember my dreams quite well. I have a whole thing in my notes of mm-hmm. like eight dreams. <laughs> can I ask? Well, that was me and Ruth talking about dreams and Any other ideas to add on to that would be quite interesting, but I'm going to...